Now Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling! We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Wait, wait. Pass to the front. Great save, Pelosi! As she robs a Cooper in front of her in that one was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Episode number 48 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. Welcome to the Den. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host Nick Maxson on this first week of February, Sunday, February 7th here. Uh, warming up a little bit, but still that cold snap is really ripping through the Midwest, I would say, Nick. Um, I've been, uh, as we'll touch on later in the show, I've had some vehicle problems that have affected my uh, performance with said podcast that we're on right now. But uh, uh, how have things been for you down in uh, the Twin Cities? Uh, it's cold. Uh, the right current temperature right now is 11 below, and that's not the wind chill. That's actual air temperature, and we're supposed to be, uh, I guess, stuck in this cold spell for the better part of next week. So um, beyond that, you know, things are picking up with uh, school and some different hockey stuff that's been happening. So uh, you know, it's, it's busy times, and uh, you know, but uh, you know, busy's good. You know, it, it keeps me out of trouble. It, it keeps me, uh, I guess, away from you a little bit. So that's well, that's good. So <laughs> I'm I'm excited about this week, and not not for the cold snap. Obviously, it's been freezing here. The wind chill last night when I was outside was above the negative thirty. So I mean, it, it, it was it was cold. But um, I'm excited for this week because then the following week it's President's Day and then Assessment Day here. So we have that Monday Tuesday off of next week, which is very very nice. So maybe we'll have to schedule one of our podcast interviews on that Monday or something. Maybe on President's Day. But uh, um, we do have uh, a couple of guests joining us this week for our Healthy Scratch interview segment, uh, the Flying Fins, Vietti Mietnin, and uh, um, I almost said Callie, <laughs> Jeez. and Yami Karanala are going to be joining us uh, this week. And then we already have our guests set for next week. Um, uh, we'll review that at the end of this show when uh, Ben Holden joins us. Uh, with that being said, Nick, I, I don't think we have any real housekeeping uh, things to get to here. Uh, so do line fan trivia. Two-line fan trivia. Two-line fan trivia. Two-line fan trivia is your chance to win some sweet Huskies Warming House podcast apparel every Saturday at noon. Simply follow us on Twitter, and when 12 o'clock noon rolls around on Saturday, gear up to take on the best in the two-line fan trivia leaderboard for your chance to win a Huskies Warming House podcast hat. Twitter followers also have a chance to win more Huskies Warming House podcast apparel, and you'll also find the latest in St. Cloud State Husky coverage. Two-Line Fan Trivia, every Saturday at noon. Nick, this week's Two-Line Fan Trivia does involve our flying fins. St. Cloud State's uh, two finish forwards, Vietti Mietnin and Yami Kranela, did join us this week. Uh, each had a shooting percentage over 19% entering this weekend. Uh, but the heart of the question was, when was the last season that St. Cloud State men's hockey had more than two players from Finland on their roster? Nick, we just talked about this in the pre-show, so I would hope that you're going to get this one. Uh, what do we got it was, here? 
it was 15, 16, because you had Mika Ilvenin and uh, was it Riola, right? The, the finished goaltender. So that would have been mm-hmm. four Finns um, on the roster during that uh, season. Yep, yeah. You've got Mika, Rasmus, Riola, uh, Nicholas Nevalainen, and uh, Kosla. That would have been the four that were in that. The last time St. Cloud State had more than one finished player on their roster was actually the following season because I believe Mika and uh, uh, Nevalainen would have been still on that team for the 16-17 campaign. Uh, but we did have a winner, and this one was uh, kind of interesting because of the fact that um, I think we had about five or six correct answers within two minutes, which is just awesome to see that participation. Uh, but we had a first-time winner, and that was SCSU Hockey Fanatic, otherwise known as at SCSU underscore huskies uh he was the correct person to answer uh this question and he is the winner of a new huskies warming house podcast hat which you can see if you're watching the youtube page that i have facing forwards and nick is modeling so stylishly the back band of those hats so um <laughs> so nick uh, um we did our uh, double minor giveaway last week so um we have some i guess to give fans a little bit of a preview before we jump into centerized view we have a lot of topics um obviously touching on the nchc the wcha a lot of happenings related to COVID in the National Hockey League, but we do have uh, some sadder moments to get to and a lot of highlights and some pretty, I don't want to say heated debate, but we really kind of ran long with uh, just some very general discussion this week. So a very, very jam-packed episode. We're excited to bring it to you and we're going to kick it over to Centerized View News and Notes. Centerized View News and Notes. Centerized View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. Centerized View News and Notes here. We've got a lot to get to, uh, both in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, as well as our main topics of the day. Here we've got Nick with a beautiful smile and smirk on his face. And of course, he's got to be excited. We've got some men's hockey, some women's hockey, um, uh, some sadder COVID NHL news as far as what COVID is doing to a lot of the professional leagues around North America. But first, let's start off in the Granite City with our Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Starting in the Granite City, both St. Cloud teams were at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center this weekend, and they had almost identical weekends in the NCHC action for the boys. The Huskies did take on Western Michigan after a bye week last week, and St. Cloud earned a decisive 5-1 win on Friday night before stumbling on Saturday in a 5-4 overtime loss in St. Cloud. They did, however, come away with four out of six points on the weekend to move to 37 points on the season with five games left in the regular season schedule. In league-wide news, Denver also earned four of six points against the Omaha Mavericks, while Duluth rocked Miami by a combined score of 11-2. And on the weekend, North Dakota Duluth and St. Cloud now are the top three teams in the conference with two points separating all three teams. Omaha is behind St. Cloud by five points and sits in fourth place in the NCHC conference standings. Moving over to the women's side in the WCHA, uh, women's hockey in St. Cloud returned home as well to face Mankato. St. Cloud was able to work a 4-0 victory in game number one before the Mavericks rebounded in a 4-2 win for game two. The Huskies and Mankato have split the season series at two games apiece, and Friday's shutout was the second of the season against Mankato for freshman netminder Sonny Ahola. In Minneapolis, the only other games in the WCHA this weekend featured a powerhouse matchup between the Minnesota Golden Gophers and Wisconsin Badgers, which saw two overtime games at Ritter Arena. Friday's win went to the Badgers, uh, coming from behind two goals down, and Saturday's victory to the Gophers uh, in a shootout. Wisconsin and Minnesota do lead the WCHA on the women's side as the top two teams in the standings entering this week week. 
In pro hockey news, COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on hockey leagues across North America. The NHL has made changes to over 30 games this past week due to the virus. In the East, 10 New Jersey Devils and a handful of Buffalo Sabres players and coaches are in COVID protocol. The hometown Minnesota Wild will not play until at least later this week with seven total players on the COVID-19 list. That's postponed four games for the club against Colorado, Arizona, and St. Louis. Colorado also added players to the list and will not play until Valentine's Day on the 14th of this month. And Ben, while the NHL is reeling from COVID-19 protocol, the National Women's Hockey League was shut down entirely this past week. The cancellation of the season comes on the eve of the league playoffs, which was supposed to begin here later this week after numerous positive tests on teams and also teams withdrawing from the tournament. Minnesota's Whitecaps team were in second place entering the end of the regular season. And it's unfortunate because this comes on the heels of the Toronto Maple Leafs recently announced partnership with the Professional Women's Hockey League Players Association. The Maple Leafs will help support the association's marketing, consult on commercial efforts, and host a game to showcase its players when women's hockey returns to action sometimes later this year. The changes also meant that the NHL may do something unprecedented this year. TSN reports that general managers have made a strong push this year for the NHL draft this year to be scheduled for next summer. This would mean that the 2021 and 2022 drafts would be back-to-back in the same year of the summer of 2022. Mm -hmm. The reason for the potential change is that many draft-eligible players currently aren't playing hockey due to their respective leagues being on pause as a result of the pandemic. This year's draft was scheduled for July 23rd. In our final topic this week, more player and staff news dotted NHL headlines this past week. Former NHLer Justin Williams joined the Carolina Hurricane staff as a special advisor to the general manager. He's known as Mr. Game 7 for his ability to be an impact as a player and win just about every Game 7 he's ever played in. Williams won a cup in 06 with Carolina and twice with L.A. in 12 and 14 So he is now a part of the Hurricanes front office. In waiver news, New York, former New York Rangers defenseman Tony D'Angelo will not play as a Ranger ever again, according to GM Jeff Gordon. The 25-year-old got into an altercation with teammate and goaltender Alexander Gorgiev following a 5-4 overtime loss to Pittsburgh last week. Jeff Gordon said after D'Angelo was scratched earlier in the season for his antics, if his name ever came up in anything at all, he would be on waivers. Case in point, the blue liner is still generating tons of trade interest despite his behavior. Finally, two goaltenders are on the mend in the NHL. Carolina goalie Peter Morozik underwent surgery on his thumb this past week, while Columbus netminder Elvis Merzlikens is on injured reserve after being hurt during practice on Wednesday due to an upper body ailment. Uh, lots to get to as we just had mentioned in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup lots of things happen hopefully hopefully more on the college side it seems like college hockey has a little bit uh, more set future it kind of seems right now uh, uh, as opposed if I can spit my words out here as opposed to some of the professional leagues around North America so we'll have to keep an eye on that of course I'm Noah Grant joined alongside Nick Max and bringing in uh, the third member of our crew here in Ben Holden uh, Ben um, we're going to get your take on how you're uh, how you're doing this morning but first we do have some news to get to that does affect all three of us but uh, specifically you two a little more than myself um we did have a couple of uh passing aways uh related to the hockey world this week um 
Uh, ben, maybe you kind of want to start. Let's start uh, um, in the Miami, Ohio side. Um, what kind of have you heard this week um, from their camp and uh, things that have gone on as far as that uh, is concerned? Well, it was midweek when, uh, I mean, I, I learned of it when I saw a tweet from former head coach Rico Blasi about a former player of his, uh, Ben Politis. Ben was only 29 years old. Um, he was a defenseman. He was a part of one of their championship teams in the frozen faceoff. Just a, a guy that everybody, from what I remember, a guy that everybody on Miami's team absolutely loved. He wasn't a guy that played a ton. He was a contributor to their team, not just on the ice, but he was one of those glue guys um, from, from all the players I ever talked to. He was just a, a special part of their program. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, during COVID and the pandemic, we've heard, I don't think we've heard enough about the tragedy that is suicide and depression. And, uh, and at just 29 years old, Ben took his own life. And, you know, it's sad. I mean, it's way too young to die. Um, he was bipolar. He dealt with, with all kinds of mental illness things and, and depression. And, you know, that touches me near and dear because I, my son had a former high school teammate that I went to a funeral three blocks from my house here where I live in suburban Detroit last summer. And, uh, you know, it's nothing to mess around with. And, uh, you know, I think that we've all been tested to the limit in the last 11 months as Americans and as humans. And it's unfortunate that it got the best of Ben, um, you know, and there's things on my Twitter and you can go to Miami's Twitter um, and find things. If there's anything you feel you can do to help, there's a link to do that. I'd highly recommend it. You never want to see somebody go through what, what Ben went through. And, you know, as a parent, it hits even home harder, you know, having a 19 year old son and somebody that's, that's dealt with some of those things at times and has had friends deal with it. And uh, it's very sad. And uh, we're thinking of Ben and his family and the Miami hockey program and their family this week as well. Yeah, and an interesting uh, major as well. Of course, part of a couple of documentaries with his father, including Missing 411, which is, uh, I, I believe he was a film major uh, when he was at Miami and continued yep. his education. And like you mentioned, Ben, the thing that I think sticks out with me is, uh, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the week prior, we had um, uh, that Bell Let's Talk um, Mental Awareness yes. Day not too long ago. So I think it, it even more highlights the need for us to recognize uh, the power of mental illness and what we can do to uh, um, help those that are struggling and um, help them be able to reach out and talk about um, what is bothering them. Uh, moving over to you, Nick. Um, Nick, I'm going to let you take this one away here because this one is very, very close to you. And uh, we got this news a little bit later in the week as well. Uh, so Nick, can you fill our listeners in on uh, how this past week went on your side? Sure. Um, and uh, apologies for getting a little bit uh, stiffed up here uh, because of this news. Uh, probably my one of my better friends um, who'd been battling a brain tumor for the last seven plus years. Um, unfortunately, his battle ended on Thursday. Um, a, a guy that, you know, for, for Husky hockey, you know, that was, you know, kind of a big topic of conversation with us. Uh, we did tornado chasing together. Uh, more importantly, he was a guy that would give you the shirt off his back and would, would drop anything to be with you. That was just the kind of guy he was. Um, I think my favorite story of him most recently is we were, you know, one of our, our big kind of things we did was we, we generally would get together at least every Labor Day, every Memorial Day, we would smoke ribs together. We did that the past, uh, you know, eight, nine years. But, you know, even for, for him, he, he definitely had suffered some physical side effects from a couple of the brain surgeries that he had had. So the right side of his body was, was a little bit, uh, you know, not to full speed per se, but we were, we were in his garage this past, uh, this past September Labor Day, we were smoking some ribs and, 
you know, it's a holiday, you know, nobody should be working during those times. And uh, we noticed uh, his neighbor across the street, there was a pickup truck that, that pulled up and you could tell it was, you know, a work truck. And uh, so a guy gets out and it was like a, uh, like a pets cleanup kind of business. And, you know, we both looked at each other. We're sitting there, you know, having uh, a beer and we were like, well, what the hell is this guy doing working? So Mike, and, you know, again, thinking of others first as he always did, he, he walked inside the house, he grabbed a can of beer, and then he walked all the way across the street, put the beer right on the guy's pickup truck. And when the guy, you know, finished, you know, doing his, his job at that house, guy comes back in and he saw the beer. He looked straight across at us. He, he knew it was us. And we just gave him a, a quick salute there. And, uh, you know, he drove away. But that's just the kind of guy that Mike was, you know, just he was always selfless. Um, he, he certainly was a big part of helping me. Um, he was he was the reason why I met him was through my late fiance and, you know, six months after my late fiance passed, you know, he had his first seizure. And so it was very, very tough uh, uh, to, to hear this news. Uh, it, it was a, a very quick turn of events after being very, very in good shape for a while. And uh, this one stinks. Um, and it's certainly going to be a very, very tough, uh, you know, thing to look forward to knowing that he's no longer with us. It's the, you know, the St. Cloud grad and the Husky hockey super fan, it's going to be a, a tough loss for the hockey community and for myself, especially. We'll certainly be missed. And I, and I do want to point this out too. Um, and it's kind of a little side tangent here. Um, you actually got that text, uh, a learning of that on Thursday while we were actually in the yeah. middle of the show. It's actually, I believe the second or third time it has happened where we've gotten news like that while we're in the middle of the show. So, um, <clears throat> As terrible as it is, it almost maybe is fitting in some ways that's still a part of Huskies hockey, even to the very end there. Um, and what we'd like to do for uh, uh, both Ben, of course, playing in the NCHC, as well as Michael is, uh, as we mentioned, Ben was 29 when he passed away and Michael, I believe, was 31. So um, that adds up to 60 seconds. So we're going to actually take a minute of silence here on the Huskies Warming House podcast in memory of um, uh, two, two close members that we have lost in the, um, the hockey and local community this past week. Once again, as Ben did mention, uh, you can go to uh, the University or Miami, Ohio and their Twitter page as well and um, uh, donate or do whatever you can uh, to help out Ben's family. And I'm sure maybe Nick might have some more details potentially as we move forward on his front as well. Um, thank you both for being able to elaborate. Uh, these are not easy things for us to have to talk about sometimes on this show. Um, you know, we love what we do. We love covering the game of hockey, but there is a human element and there is life that does come into play. And sometimes it's not exactly the best news, but on that front, one of the best news that we've had in a long time is I believe a fifth or sixth episode that we've been able to welcome our third co-host on the show in Ben Holden. Um, ben, 
I think it's still kind of mind blowing. Um, I don't, did we ever actually tell the story of how you actually ended up being a co-host on the show? I don't know if we, did we ever do that? I don't know if we did, but I just, I, I, I know we talked about it, but I just want to say to Nick, Nick, I'm, I, I'm certainly, you know, ever since it happened, thinking of you, brother and Michael's family and, and everybody. And, and, and like Noah said, we were taping that interview with uh, Mietinen and, and Cronulla and, uh, you know, it's, it's tough, man. So we're all with you, man. And his family, and you let, you let me know if there's anything I can do to help. So I just want to say that. that. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. It's tough, man. And um, yeah, I, you know what? Um, I think back on track. No, I don't know. I, I don't really know. I, I, I remember feel, you and I having a really good conversation. Uh, just the two of us a couple of days or maybe three or four days after I got the news. I wasn't with CBS anymore. And, you know, obviously that was a tough time for me. And, you know, um, I still have had my moments. I'm not going to lie. It's some days are tough. Um, but I, I think, was that the one? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the thing that kind of stuck out to us, um, you know, and I, I think maybe we did touch on it a little bit, but I still kind of think with this wild journey that I guess we've kind of have in the past month and a half, where it was the only reason that we ended up contacting you was because Nick was tied up with TV stuff that day. And it just blows my mind to think about how amazing, you know, this journey has been for us all because Nick was actually tied up. And I thought, ah, well, I've talked to Ben like once in my life. So let me give him a call and see what happens. (laughs) And for an hour that day, it was like, it was therapy. So uh, publicly I'll say, thanks for that, brother. That was, I needed that. And you know, that that day I was not in a good place. So that's right. I just, I just remember sitting there and, and I remember the, you said a line, something along like, yeah, you know, if I could, you know, maybe get in the show or just maybe be able to do something with you guys once in a while. And like the way, the way you said it is the way that I would go up to Dave Starman and ask for his autograph. Just this kind of like shy, like ah. how you do it. And I'm just like, Ben, you can come on our show today. <laughs> like, absolutely. So I'm um, glad to have you with us here, Ben. Uh, we have, an interesting um, relationship or connection with each other yesterday because out of the three of us, Nick Maxson's the only guy who has actually watched the Husky game yesterday. Here we go, Nick. Uh, ben, let's start with you. Um, what were you up to during the Huskies game yesterday? I, I, well, that's kind of you to start with me, but we really should be starting with you. What, you know, what you had going on. So I had plans to sit down and, I was going to watch Wisconsin because as of now I'm doing Wisconsin at Michigan on big 10 network this coming Saturday, fingers are crossed. Um, and I watched their game on Friday and, uh, whew. anyways. Um, so my plan was last night was to double dip, uh, watch the Huskies on my computer, plug the pad into the TV and watch, watch Wisconsin and, you know, do my homework and do my homework for both things. And so my son, who finally, excuse me, after about 10 months of living with my ex-wife, has finally moved in with with a couple of his teammates at Concordia, where he goes to school and he's going to play lacrosse. So what happened was, is I went over to his aunt's, loaded a bed in the back of my truck, and then the roommate that he's living with had something come up and he couldn't let Luke into the place till eight o'clock at night. So hence... My ex and I went down about 15 minutes south, helped him move in, 
we kindly kicked ourselves out because 19 and 20 year old college students don't want someone's parents hanging around. Although I had a little fun with the guys talking lacrosse and hockey, no surprise. Um, that's my story. And then I didn't get home till almost 10. Yours is way better and it should be sponsored. I'm throwing this out there. We need to get interstate batteries as a sponsor on this show. I love it. First of all, I do got to ask though. So do, do your, do your son's friends, do they know who you are? Do they know what you do? A couple of them. Yeah. But it's, you know, I just try to be Luke's dad, you know? And, uh, but then the one, there was one guy that knew hockey real well. And I said, dude, 10 o'clock tonight, Edmonton, Calgary, watch it. He goes, I'm already watching it. It's like, Luke, I like this guy. Yeah, they know what I do and what I've done. So, you know, it's cool, but yeah, I, well, I was at the Herb last night taking in the entire hockey game. No, you weren't. (laughs) Interstate Um, batteries. (laughs) So yeah, I, okay. What time the game started at six, I think. So, um, is that bad? Six o'clock. Yeah. Is that bad? I don't even know when the game starts. Um, Come on, man. So it was about, it must've been about, oh, I don't know, five fifteen. 520 something like that and i was thinking what i'm gonna do is i had a couple groceries to grab so i'm like i'm gonna start the vehicle grab a couple groceries and then uh you know maybe maybe order a pizza and head back watch the huskies game i might miss the first 10 minutes of the first period but watch the game um so i go out and uh the wind chill up here at this particular time uh was around just over negative 30 at that particular time so um <clears throat> excuse me um i'm coughing because of all that pneumonia i got from yesterday um but i <laughs> But I go out and I unlock um, the vehicle. So I know the battery is not dead because my, my automatic lock opens up the vehicle and I turn the key and I just get, I get clicks. Doesn't even turn over. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like whatever. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I got my battery pack. I got my charging pack in there. I guess I'll pop the hood open and, you know, try to try to fire up and see what happens. I pull the lever on the hood. Hood doesn't move. Oh, I'm like, Okay, whatever. So I start feeling around the edge of the hood and granted to feel around the edge of the hood, you got to take your gloves off. So I'm like touching this thing, getting like little frostbite, like numbness and like pulling my hand away, trying to just see what's going on. Well, turns out the hood is frozen shut. So if you've, my apartment has this big steep hill that you have to come down to get down to the vehicles. So I'm carrying this Tupperware container full of hot water down to my vehicle, splashing a little bit of water on, trying to pull it, doesn't open, have to walk all the way back up the stairs, back down the hallway into the apartment, splashing more water on it. Finally, I get this freaking thing open. I, I get it open, try, try to jumpstart the battery, battery doesn't start. I'm like, I know this battery's not dead because my vehicle has opened, like my vehicle unlocked. So I know it's not dead. Well, turns out, that the battery cabling on the positive terminal on the backside of the battery had untightened itself when it had froze. So it froze and then like dropped down. So I had to tighten the terminal and then had to go in and get a new battery pack. But then I had to go and get, you know, all new extension cords because they were all froze and stuff like that. And it was just, I finally got back. I got back, turned on the TV and Western Michigan was celebrating over top of David Rennick for the game winner. And I'm like, you gotta be joking me. So of course, Nick and I did the recap and, and I, I said to Nick, I said, yeah, I didn't really watch the game. And he goes, yeah, you're funny. What'd you think? What'd you think of the Huskies tonight? I said, no, literally, I just got it back into my apartment five minutes. ago. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it was, it was not the best night, but it was funny from a fan perspective. Maybe let's start with men's hockey a little bit. We'll touch on women's hockey in a second here, but when I looked at the box score, you know, Huskies score four goals, 
They get two on the power play to increase their percentage to above, I believe, 26%. I was like, oh, okay, you know, just Western Michigan just played a good game, clawed their way back into the hockey game. And Nick, you told me that this St. Cloud State team looked very, very poor last night, which is interesting because a Hmm. lot of times shot charts or the roundup of, you know, the score, the box score will tell you at least a little bit about how the hockey game goes in some capacity. Like if you have someone who gets outshot 30 to seven, but wins the game two to one generally means that they had a hot goaltender that night, right? Like little things like that. Um, Nick, what did you see from this Huskies team that was in stark contrast to Friday night? You know, it really wasn't a stark contrast, honestly, because um, even in the 5-1 win, Brett Larson was not happy the way the team played. Uh, they were very, very much out of sync, especially in the defensive zone. Um, it looks like they were just trying to do a little bit too much. It's almost – you don't want to say it like this because, you know, as a, as a former player myself, you never want to say a team almost looked past a team. But they kind of had flares of that. Uh, a lot of the goals that the Huskies gave up, they were just missed assignments. They were puck watching. They weren't, t- you know, tying up sticks. They weren't paying attention to bodies. And so it was one of those where, you know, Western Michigan was taking advantage of the mistakes that the Huskies were giving them. It just looked like, again, you know, they, they just they didn't really just have control of themselves. And so to me, it was frustrating. And then you, you, you take a, a, the goal away. I know we're going to take we're going to get into this uh, to the same mm-hmm. Hedges goal that was disallowed here, too. But when you, you take away a team that isn't in, you know, not in sync and then you mm-hmm. take away a goal that to me should have counted 100 percent. You know, that to me, they just there was never a time where this team really settled down and really got into their game. And. Honestly, to me, what started off to is they got into penalty trouble right from the get-go. They took three, four penalties in the first period. And as a team that really does well when you can roll four lines, you can get everybody involved. When you're spending a lot of the time on the PK, a lot of guys are sitting on the bench, and you're really just not get into the game. So to me, it just, it just was a horrible game. They never really got into it. And to me, Western Michigan, not that they deserve to win it, but to me, Huskies definitely deserve to lose that hockey game. It really pains me for to see that, but it was just a horrible game all around for the squad, honestly. 11 power plays for the Western Michigan Broncos on the weekend, as you mentioned. And we've seen that trend even back when Ben was calling games in the pod where it seemed like when the Huskies got in a penalty trouble, you know, they really, even though their penalty kill was doing well, it just disrupted their momentum to create any sort of offensive attack. So Ben, I'll ask you kind of a similar question. You know, what did you see on the Friday night game? I'm not going to ask you about Saturday, I don't think, but... Neither <laughs> one of us saw it. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I've I, seen the highlights, but I watched the whole game. So yeah, yeah, I only saw one clip from Saturday, and like Nick mentioned, we are going to yeah. touch on that because that was just yeah. ridiculous. But moving forward, we saw the Huskies rebound after a sweep against Western Michigan, a rebound against Miami, who really yep. just is probably the weakest team in the conference. Let's just put it out there. They have a bye week. They get four out of six points, thankfully, from Western Michigan. They have Miami, St. Cloud does, coming up in the next week. One game against Colorado College, and they finish against Duluth. Um, What what do you see from this Huskies team? Are there some underlying trends with this group that maybe are kind of, I don't want to say going by the wayside, but where you're looking thinking that maybe they're not playing their best hockey coming into tournament time here? Well, I I don't know about that. But first, Nick knows this, and you do too know, I'm sure even though you probably haven't been in the situation that Nick about Nick and I have been in over the years when teams lose, they blame the announcers. So I'm going to give us a little props because Cronulla came on Thursday yeah. and sniped two on Friday and, and <laughs> Mietna and I know had a hand in some other goals, but just having a little fun with it. Cause the fans like to give, <laughs> give, give broadcasters and announcers a little grief every now and then. So, um, but that's good. Um, where, where do I see him going? I mean, I, I basically, I'm looking at the schedule and I listen to you say it two with Miami, one with Colorado college, uh, two at Duluth. 
I see this team going four and one down the stretch. That's where I see him. I, I don't look Western Michigan has given him fits all years, guys. I've all year or all season. They're three and three against them. I mean, they could easily be four and two. Again, I keep bringing it up. The one that pass will knock down. Who knows where that game goes? So, I mean, I don't think there's a whole lot to be concerned with personally. I mean, I think they got a really good hockey team. I'm trying think to think, one, I'm trying to think not to interrupt you. Aren't they for what wasn't Western four and two against the Huskies this year? Well, they split in Omaha and then Western and Western took them. So yeah, they were four and two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Thanks for calling me on my math. You're welcome. But never, nevertheless. So right there, I mean, this team, they're, they're a pain in the rear end to play against. Every team will tell you that. And I mean, that as the ultimate compliment. So I don't really think there's anything wrong with St. Cloud. I don't. I mean, right. I don't have my finger on the pulse of it, you know, like I I have and would have normally, but I like their team, um, you know, and Western Michigan is just a tough team to play against. They, there's no quit in their game, man. And, you know, I think sometimes you got to give the, the other team a little bit of props. So, again, I see them going four and one. They're going to split in Duluth. I don't think either team s- sweeps up there. Miami is a hot mess in terms of their team right now. And they just, I mean, what, they give up 58 shots to Duluth yesterday? I mean, that's insane. So, you know, I mean, you still got to go and play the games, and you never know. But that's where I see them. I I think they're going to go four and one down the stretch, guys. Isn't it odd to think about how the the two teams, I know St. Cloud, they won eight to two on that Saturday game, but they had a tight one against Miami on that Friday at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Um, With Western Michigan, like Duluth has just rolled over both of those hockey teams, but then the Huskies have found a way to elevate their game against Duluth. Um, Nick, and I want to kind of pose this question to you before we get to the Sam Hentges stuff. when you look at, you mentioned a little bit of maybe overlook with this Western Michigan group, which I don't know how you can have it because of the fact that Western Michigan has had the Huskies number all year, but you come in against a team who isn't doing so hot. They're reeling in Miami. You come against a team in CC, which gave the Huskies fits in Omaha Duluth, you know, is going to be a tough test. These next three games for St. Cloud state. um, Is there something to be said for this St. Cloud group, I know that every game in the NCH is a tight game, but do you almost want to see two out of the three of these hockey games be legitimate statement games where you're doing what Duluth did and rolling over a hockey team instead of, you know, kind of clawing and grabbing your way? I know it's a hockey game. I know you can't predict the outcome in some ways, but do you think it might be a good thing for this St. Cloud State team to have a weekend where they just absolutely annihilate you know, one of these teams and feel like they can gain that scoring touch uh, on a back-to-back basis on a weekend? No. And here's why I say that. I know it's going to surprise you guys. And here's why I say that. Hockey is a weird game. We all know this when watching hockey can be a game of bounces. You'll hear it a lot from John Tortorella. You hear it a lot from NHL coaches. Sometimes you lose a game, but you play the right way. And at the end of it, Huskies won a game on Friday, but they didn't play the right way. The Huskies continued to play like, pardon the French, like total crap on Saturday, and they got what they deserve, honestly. I don't think necessarily you want to steamroll a team because all of a sudden you have what I call false confidence. I want to see this team get back to what makes them a strong team. I want them to have some confidence. Yes, I want to see a win, but I also don't want to pump their tires over the top that says, now I want to relax a little bit. You know, you want to play strong. You want to get into a playoff mentality. I want to see this team play the right way. That's what I'd rather see. And if that means it's a 4-3 game, a 3-2 game, hell, I'll take a one nothing game if they're doing the right things that they're doing successfully. I want them to reset themselves a little bit. That's what I want to see. I don't want 
want to necessarily see a 10 to one shellacking like, you know, some teams did in the pod. I want to see this team get back to what makes them successful. So to me, the answer is no. And that's why I want to say that. All right, Ben. Uh, so on Nick's point here, um, and, and maybe this is uh, probably an interesting question because you're probably the, the least biased out of the three of us in terms of St. Cloud State hockey. Um, <laughs> when the Huskies are playing well versus when they aren't playing well, what are the differences you notice in this group that can give you, even if it is a 0-0 hockey game, that give you those underlying factors that the Huskies are dominating or not dominating a hockey game? When I'll, I'll give you an example, the two, one game in Omaha, the second game, when they get clogged up, when they can't fly the zone, when they can't do the certain things they want to do with their speed, it changes the dynamic. And, and I'll say this, look, the, and this isn't getting on them. It's reality. The last couple of years in the postseason, they have had a tough time. And two years ago, they had a tough time because in my opinion, this is my opinion, they didn't play a game that really meant a hell of a lot the last month of the season. So I think that's something that, you know, you got to be able to do. I mean, and I'm going back to what you asked Nick, Noah, you know, do you want to see him dominate and blow out or however you worded that, that that's great and all, but at the end of the day, you get into the playoffs and you get into the final four in the NCHC, you better be able to win close games and you better have the confidence, the know-how, the ability to be able to do that because that's what's going to put this team over the top. That's what everybody wants because of past disappointments and, and all those things. So I think Nick's, Nick and I are on the same page, I think, here. Yeah. And, and going back to the pod, uh, Ben, sorry to cut you off. Uh, no, I think. But going back to the pod, Ben, there were times where the Huskies started off games that weren't great, but they were able to kind of reset yep. mid-game You're and right. come back and take some wins. I haven't really seen that same kind of, you know, ability to reset. Now, Brett Larson took a timeout in the second period of last night's game to try to reset. Mind you, he pulled the mask down. He was absolutely lighting the lamp against that team on the bench just because, yeah. again, this team can be better, and they didn't show how good they could be last night. And, again, you could take this as a sloppy weekend – but in a sense, in a, in a roundabout way, and contrary to your question, Noah, this adversity, I think, is going to actually be good for them. I really do. Because, again, CC, because of the way they play, it gave them fits. I mean, we talked about it with Robbie Jackson the other week. CC is a team where they will frustrate you because they take yeah. away the speed. They take away the neutral zone. They don't allow you to stretch the ice like the Huskies like to do. They make you work for every single offensive chance. And for CC, it just seems against the Huskies that one mistake and CC takes advantage of it. So to me, it's going to be a really, really good test for the squad to just sort of reset, come back to earth a little bit, but really work to try to establish you as a top three team. We talked about how the NCHC and the NCAA could be, you know, picking away and how they're going to, you know, take teams in the tournament. So to me, with this kind of, un, you know, I guess, uh, organized format for the NCAA, they could be looking at this week and going, did we really just prove ourselves as an NCAA, like, team so to me this adversity is good for the squad and i don't think you really necessarily need to blow on a team next weekend to do it they need to get back to what they do well yeah if i can real quick no and and, and you know brett larson's going to take in that three two game and that's going to be the focus to because these guys are going to say they're going to look at what miami did last week or didn't do and what was done to them and you got to get that mind right man and i know that he will be saying in the 3-2 game, that close game with Miami, that's going to be how he sells this to his guys. And that's the way you have to sell it because they were the one shot of who knows what happens. They might lose that game. So I think that's an interesting sidebar as well. 
one shot might make all the difference. Nick mentioned uh, the timeout taken in the second period, but it was not the most eventful event in the second period of last night's contest. Not that I hmm. would know, but you look, you know, <laughs> Sam Hensch has scored twice last night, but only one of them counted uh, the, Wait, unof- the, unof- <laughs> the unofficial ruling is that um that uh, the goaltender for Western Michigan had the puck in his glove and that Sam Henches was coming across the crease, knocked the puck out of his glove before depositing it into the open cage. Um, I think I speak for both of us and every normal hockey fan, even Western Michigan (laughs) fan on the planet. That was a goal uh, and it should have counted. It was called a goal on the ice. Uh, I I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, there, there are some, it makes me think back to, was it 2016 or 2017? Calm down, Nick. I'm getting there in 2016 or 2017 where um, the goal. I'm watching it again. The the goaltender interference kind of ran rampant or like overcharged in the national hockey league. And it makes me think of one of those plays. So um, Ben, I guess I'm going to throw it over to you because Nick's being a little goofball here and you're actually watching the, (laughs) you're actually watching the clip here, Ben. Um, Ben, what did you see on that play? And uh, was the no, was the reversal of the call, the correct call? I don't think so. No. I mean, I don't know how it is. I I mean, I'm, I'm baffled. I mean, Sullivan's right there. I don't see what you had said to me, Noah, was the, the, the ruling, correct me if I'm wrong, because I got a lot of friends that are referees, number one, and I respect them. But it was that the puck was knocked out of his glove by Hentges. Is that what they said? Yeah, essentially, uh, to, to dive back into the rule book, what that means for people who aren't familiar with the rule book is essentially that, um, you know, uh, if a goaltender covers the puck or a goaltender has possession of the puck and is not intending to move move it. So, for example, a simple glove save or whatever, you can't, as a player, fish the puck out of their net in some way, shape, or form and then deposit it into the goal, Right. which I, I didn't see him even have the puck. That's the thing I'm not I seeing that at least on the angles and, and they're getting the same angles that they got from the game last night. I'm not seeing that. And you look I'm at not seeing that and, and Nick kicking it over to you. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned or noticed center ice view, which is at center ice club on Twitter had a beautiful picture of a little bit after that play where Sam Henches is getting ready to put the puck in the net. The goaltender sprawled out and there's a Western Michigan player in between the goaltender and Sam Henches. So to me, in fault, yeah. So to me, I don't see like, I mean, what did you see on that play net? Cause I, I, I'm, we're just back. First of all, ne- first of all, not, he never hit his glove. He never had possession of the puck. So to me, what, and that angle that you just, you just showed uh, here, Ben is not the best angle to me. No, first of all, it looks like he's, it looks like Aslanidis is looking into the net already. So it was correct. It would have been after the fact, right? Yes. After the fact. So to me, the, the angle that I focused on and what, and mind you, I was producing, you know, uh, last night, you know, inside uh, the Herbrooks national hockey center. So we were able to get the multicam view on this, you know, during mm-hmm. the time of review and the overhead view to me is the one that's most telling. Cause first of all, Hanches is not in the crease. No. That's important. Number one, no. number two in the NHL will do this is so when a player is, is sort of, you know, I guess in the goalie's kitchen, as we like to call it here in the hockey world, you know, does it go in unimpeded? I mean, does it go in there under his own power or is it being pushed in? And this, you know, the caveat to that is, is it being pushed in by uh, a player on the, the goalie's team or is it being pushed in? Maybe there's, a, you know, a scrum with players there. To me, there is a unimpededness there too. And mind you, in this case, it's not a bad thing. 
Number, number three, does he make contact with the goaltender? Is there a slight contact with this blocker? Yeah, okay, sure, it's maybe a brush, but to me, the focus isn't necessarily, and this is where I don't know if the unofficial ruling is correct on this, and, and I'm saying that not to, to go out, you know, but I don't know where that information is coming from. I haven't been able to confirm that, but to me, it's the, it's the goaltender's stick. The goaltender stick is out, right? Like he's almost trying to disrupt uh, maybe someone trying mm-hmm. to like do a power move across the crease. To me, yep. Henches is going through ice that not only the goaltender has a right to, but also Sam Henches <laughs> has a right to as well. That to yep. me is what bothers me about this call. Number three, does him making contact with the stick, and this is to me is the big is the big you know sort of teaching moment here is does it impede the goaltender to play his position? And that to me is the answer is no. So yeah, he comes across, but what's he supposed to do in that standpoint? If he's yep. if he's in the crease, I can I can understand the call there. He is not in the crease there. So to me, yes, does he skate through ice? Yes, does he take the stick out into the wide? But to me, the puck isn't there, number one. Number two, it's a beautiful one-handed sweep. And to me, as Linus is able to go across and attempt to make a save. Now, to me, if like if his foot is dragging and he goes off balance, is unable to push off there. To me, that uh, I, I don't necessarily like the call, but I can understand the call there, right? To me, there is no way that Azonitis is unable to make it, make a play on the puck. Number two, it doesn't impede his ability to play his position. Yeah. And number three, he's not in the crease. So to me, I have a very difficult time understanding the referee's under, like ruling and understanding of what the ice is available to both players and why there's interference in the definition of the word for the goaltender, why he was unable to make a play in the puck or make a save. That to me is where, you know, kind of diving deep into this, why I have an issue with this call as a neutral unbiased hockey fan in this situation. Yeah. You know, and and like you mentioned, that's the biggest thing is where, um, and and we've seen it pop up is where, um, as you mentioned, you know, being outside the crease means that the goaltender, it doesn't mean that they're fair game, if you will, but it means that if there is incidental contact relative to the play that is happening, that yes, the player can come through the crease if they're making all attempts to avoid a goaltender and they end up clipping a goaltender because the goaltender has came out of the area that is designated for him. Um, it's just weird to me because um I've never seen a call like I've seen calls where they, you know, they blow the whistle too quickly where a goaltender has the puck covered, but he didn't really have it covered for very long. It's weird because when you look at the goaltender go down, going down, he's down in the butterfly. So for you to knock it out of his glove means that he would have to catch the glove. I don't know. Um, a whole lot about goaltending and maybe we'll have to ask our future guests, hopefully coming up next week about some goaltending questions here, but normally when you catch a puck in your glove, you close your glove. So the, the ability to knock a puck out of a goaltender's glove is kind of a difficult thing when their glove is in the air, to be honest with you. Well, can I go on that note? Because sometimes you got to remember a lot of this is coming from where the referee's positioning, right? So again, you, you can talk about a puck hitting, you know, the heel of the glove. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't catch it, right? So maybe to the referee, it looks like it went in and out of his glove or was knocked out just because maybe because of where he was position-wise, maybe he thought the elbow came through and knocked it out just because of where he was visually, right? So that is the subjective calling of referees. So you have to be able to take a look back at what the referee seen because to your point, let's just say the puck drops in front of him and he does this motion. Again, referees are, are taught when you lose sight of the puck, 
you blow the whistle. Okay. Now, Ben, you and I know this about the NHL is that it's not necessarily that the NHL or that the, the official blew the whistle was that he had the intent yes. to blow the whistle. That's the ruling, right? So yep. there's a lot of gray area in this. And so, so you have to take yourself out of the camera's positioning and what the referee is seeing to really understand the call. And even that, in this situation specifically, the puck is never in a, in a position where, to me, you can lose sight of it. And number two, where was the imp- you know the impedance on the on the goaltender to play his position? I don't see any of that in this, even from the referee's positioning on the ice. And number three, if a referee had the intent to blow the whistle, why did he call it a goal on the ice? That's the biggest thing for me. Is if you have right. intent to blow the whistle, you, you're you're washing that play out right away. You know, you're right. you're up on there, you know, waving that play off. So um, I don't know, but. I will say this. I know that I saw at least once where Huskies fans were saying that, you know, the loss stings, but they were kind of saying, you know, we would have had this game if that Sam Hench's goal would have counted. It's a 60 minute hockey game. Yes. You have to move on for it. But also like we mentioned, St. Cloud state did not play their best hockey game. Would it have helped? Yeah, absolutely. But St. Cloud did have a lead through most of the, for a little over half of the third period. So, um, you know, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. Uh, moving on to the women's side here very quickly before we get into our main topics of the day. Women's hockey, a 4 nothing win against Mankato on that Friday and then uh, dropping that 4-2 contest on Saturday. Uh, Nick, did you get a chance to check the women's team out at all and kind of their play? Um, they did split the season series with Mankato at two games apiece. Uh, both wins have been shutouts with Sonia Hola in net against the Mankato Mavericks. Uh, this women's hockey team, um, would you say it's about as expected for this group uh, on the weekend or how would you characterize it? Well, when you say as expected, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you can characterize anything in, in sports as expected, but at, at the I, end I of it, sh- I should, cl- I should, I should <laughs> clarify, I should clarify that the two teams were evenly matched. So we maybe expected a split similar to what we saw earlier in the season versus sure. a team like Wisconsin coming in. You kind of expect Wisconsin to be the better hockey team. Sure. Um, there are two really evenly matched squads. Now, I didn't get a chance to watch a lot of the women's team, but, you know, for the, for this women's squad, you know, you, we've talked about it since, you know, the end of last season, right? What was the next step for the squad? And the first thing for us was they needed to spend more time offensively. And obviously in Friday night's game for nothing, that is the big key to it. If this team can, it's to me, what bothers me the most is this team with the, especially the sophomore and the freshman class, there's a lot of talent there offensively, but to me, it's this team is a lot more dependent on the rush and they, they don't do a good enough job of just trying to cycle and just hang on to the puck offensively. We talk about it all the time that sometimes in hockey, you know, you can wear a team down, not by just hitting them into the boards. You can't do that in women's hockey, but by making the defend, it's a lot more difficult and it's a lot more taxing on the body when you're defending and you're running around with your chick with a chicken with their heads cut off in the defensive zone. A four nothing wins means you're controlling play. You're getting transition out of your zone and you're really allowing your goaltender just to not have to, you know, carry you out of the zone. So um, at the end of it, Friday, really, really good contest. And again, Sonny Ohola, she's proven. She's a gamer, man. As a freshman, she's athletic. She's good at her angles. And more importantly, if you don't allow her to be the best player on the ice, she's going to be able to bail you out when you need the goaltender too, but you have to give her some breaks. And to me, you know, that's why this team can be successful. And then unfortunately for Mankato, they make adjustments. You know, they, they 
Duke can play that game back toward the Huskies. And unfortunately for St. Cloud State's women's team, if you make them defend a lot, which they've done a lot over the last couple of seasons, they eventually wear down, they break down. And then unfortunately you test the goaltender, no matter who it is in net. I don't care who it is. That's a tough test all night long. And so to me, it is a, t- it is a tale of two different games and two different styles of play. And for uh, the women's team, it's going to be a challenge of consistency. You know, what is that consistency look like? What, what can they do to make it more consistent? And to me, that's going to be what takes this team to the next levels. How can they replicate games that they are successful with and they haven't been able to do so, you know, in two, if not three games in a row in a long time. I like it. Well said. Uh, a smorgasbord of, um, I guess, random topics to get to here to finish our show. Did you like that, Ben? Smorgasbord? Good word. You don't hear that word enough. I just got to say one other thing. Okay. I know we moved on from the Henches thing, <laughs> and I didn't want to take the train off the tracks, but I'll do it now. This is one of the better plays that I have ever seen since all these rule changes went into effect by a player avoiding contact, doing every single thing he can do. Right. I, I'm baffled, man. I mean, I'm I think baffled too. That, that should be, that should be a clip. And I don't, I've watched this thing 50 times guys. I don't see anywhere in there where you can clearly say there's enough to overturn that. And that's exactly. always the rule, whether it's football, hockey, basketball, whatever it is. If you don't see the evidence to overturn it, it, the call on the field, the ice, whatever it is, should stand. I think this should be a clip for young players to watch because you can barely touch goaltenders. And I know that won't sit well with some, but I'm a forward at heart. It, like, look at the play in the, the Duluth game the other day. I was just uh, about Saturday. to ask you that, yeah. Bender hits, clips Pearson. Pearson's down. I mean, I, look, I don't want guys getting hurt, but at some point, it's like you can't even touch a guy anymore. And this isn't at this league. This is at the sport in general. This is at the sport. Let these guys play. I'm not for head injuries. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But some of these drive me nuts. This play by Henches, this is a hell of a play, and it should have been a goal. It's counterintuitive to um, – we might we might have just opened up a can of worms here, but it's, counter, it's <laughs> counterintuitive to what you're taught as a forward, though. I mean, yes. you're exactly right because here's the deal. If I if I'm bringing a puck, you know, down along the half wall, and I you know when I hit the dots and I'm cutting in towards the net as a defenseman, if I'm yep. going in towards the net and I'm going to try to make a hard play, you can hit me as a defenseman. That's fine. That's your job. But you know what? If you hit me and I go over top your goaltender, sorry, that was a boneheaded play. That just should yep. not be. And exactly. You know, it's just like. I think about when was it a couple of years ago? I, I want to think it was when Evander Kane um, went into the net against the Islanders. They suspended him for it or gave him a major penalty. And it was one of those where um, it looked really bad on the ice. Cause he, he absolutely ran over the Islanders goaltender, whoever it was of Grice yeah. or wherever it was, yeah. but he was coming in with a lot of speed. He cut towards the middle and all of a sudden all that open space in between the crease and the defensive player was gone. And it's like, when a freight train or a jumbo jet is on the runway and then you try to cut off the runway jumbo jet still goes, you know, like yeah. that's, just, that's just how it is. So like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't un- understand. Yes. I know we need to protect goaltenders, but what are forwards supposed to do in that situation? It's like, if, well, you, do, if you, if you do everything you can to get out of the way and still get bowled over top of a goaltender, part of me is kind of like, it's too bad. I think if the intent is there, where as a forward, you're trying to pull up or trying to step around a goaltender and the other team dictates that you go a different direction because of their actions. I mean, yeah, it's there, there's always going to be gray area guys. And again, I didn't, 
I just wanted to say that to, about Henches because I think that is one of the absolute best jobs of a player avoiding. And he's getting – Fulp isn't like, you know, cross-checking him, but Fulp's on the backside of him. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know what, what officials and those that make the rules expect out of players. I mean, you're playing this game at a very high rate of speed, and you don't even have a second to react to that. I just think the body control by Henches and everything about that play – that's a beautiful play by him, and it should have been a goal. And one, la- one last thing to add here. Um, uh, ben, maybe you might know this. Uh, just for our fans to kind of clarify for them, uh, how does the NCHC make a determination? Like when there is a reviewable play on the ice, um, do the refs in the building make that decision, or how does that work? Well, there's always an off-ice official there. So it's, you know, a lot of times it's Mike Schmidt. Uh, it can be different people, but there's always somebody there that they're talking to on the headset and then the referees. So it's it's not a war room per se, like in the NHL or Major League Baseball, but there's always an off-ice official. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm still baffled by that one. That one just I I think it was a brilliant play by Hentges. I really where, do. Where is Brendan Shanahan to explain why <laughs> <laughs> why this happened? I know that's Department of Player Safety, but he did su- he did such a good job doing those videos, I thought, when he was yes. uh, at the head of that, at least giving fans a chance to understand why the reasoning was what it was. Uh, speaking of rule changes and officiating in the National Hockey League, um, I'm curious as to your guys' thoughts here. I think you two might be in the same wavelength, but whoever wants to start, what, we've seen Next. some we've seen some great rule changes in the National Hockey League. We've seen the removal of the two line passing rule. We've seen the change with the offside rule this past off season here. Um, what, in your guys' opinion, on the other end, was the worst rule change in the game of hockey? <laughs> uh, to me, I'll start with this one, Ben. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, and I understand why they're doing it, but to me, the, the worst rule change to me is when a player loses his helmet, he's got to go right back to the bench. I don't understand that. I mean, because he, here's my fear with this. We all know that. Because they weren't wearing their visor, Nick. You want to do this again? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, but, you know, here's my fear. We're, we're, and I hate to bring in Mike Milbury, but, you know, going back to when he had a little thing with, uh, with uh, gosh, I can't remember his name, Pierre McGuire, um, yeah. a couple of years ago on TSN. You're trying to baby-proof the league. It almost seems like they're getting closer to that. Um, my fear is, you know, we have a playoff game, and we can go back to a horrible change by Brad Marchand, you know, a couple of years ago. But let's just say that he is losing, like a defenseman loses his helmet because maybe someone steps up to the blue line. He's got to get off, and all of a sudden, you, you can't be involved in the play. It's an man rush, and now we're talking about an overtime game-winning goal because a player couldn't be involved. To me, I understand you're trying to be like a safety margin there, and what's a player supposed to do, especially if it's a period of a long change? I mean, to me, it's just it's it's baffling to me. I don't I don't like that at all. And uh, to go back to the best rule change, I'm just going to throw this in there. Getting rid of the two line pass was the best rule change ever for the National Hockey League. I think that was part of them introducing the shootout after the 0405 lockout. To me, that really opened up the ice to be more offensive, and it's a big reason why the league has changed the way it has already. Uh, so to me, that's my one and one on the opposite side of that. Benny, what do you hey, got? Hey, hey, first. Can, can we can we also mention what would mitigate uh, those helmets coming off? Uh, that would be wearing a bubble because it would be connected by your chin. So then your helmet probably would have a less chance of coming off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. We already talked about that. We already talked about that. I'm just that that's that was my point. I you I, lose you lose no one next. <laughs> okay. Quite the only the only question I have is 
I do you make it situationally specific to where if a defenseman is in front no. of the net, it's like yeah. it's like no, it's, you can't. You can't. It's like a broken shoot. stick. If it breaks, you yeah, right. It's, I mean, it shouldn't right. matter. Is it is it understandable yeah. by the league though to take the take the exercise of caution in that situation then versus having a defenseman take one in the noggin and not get up? I'm just asking. I'm, this is just a question. But at the end of it, to me, it, it's it's a player. I mean, because at the end of it, if I'm a defenseman in this situation, you know, I, I get it. I get it. And like your helmet came off, but I'd rather be on the, the like a two on two versus having to go back to the bench and allowing a two on one. Especially it's overtime. Let's say it's in like a final game seven. Do you really think a player is mm. going to want to go off the ice in this situation? No, I don't think so at all. So wh- why the heck should he at the end of it? Cause you just like the Vegas five minute, um, uh, I guess the Joe Pavelski major, where to me, there's not even a penalty in the play. Now, yeah. Granted, yes, shouldn't have given him up four power play goals. That's a moot point. But to me, the call initiates that. Like, what the heck? Like, where was the contact and the militia there? To me, it just looked worse than what it was. So to me, you know, if I'm a player in this situation, if I take a puck off a noggin, I've already taken one here, but you can see that stupid uh, one there. So to me, I'm fine. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I'm making sense. I don't know, Benny, you can throw me off or whatnot. But at, at the end of the day, you know, that's to me where the area comes into play where, okay, well, how, we lost the Stanley Cup run because I had to go back to the bench because my helmet fell off because I got, you know, maybe somebody, you know, and here's my thing. What if a player gets smart? Let's say we had a Sean Avery there that went to the blue line, was trying to just, you know, stay on side, and then he rips the guy's helmet off. I'm waiting for somebody to do that on purpose so that way they have to come out of the play. We see it all the time in the corner scrums. Does that does that change the ruling? I don't know. Ben, what's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. I, I um, you know, think about this. I mean, guys come out, you know, in the bucket list warm-ups, and, and there have been plenty of people, unfortunately, that have been hit with pucks during warm-ups. Yeah. That's okay. But in the heat of the moment, like Nick said, I don't agree with it. I, I I don't like that one either. I think, you know what? They're professionals. It's part of the game. It's part of the risk. And I think it's – I don't like the rule either, so. All right. Um, I hate well, – That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. I don't, I don't disagree with you guys, but I'm kind of just like – again, I think, I think of it as – I think of that opportunity when someone does get hurt by random chance because in a Stanley Cup final game seven – if you got three guys whose helmets all pop off in front of the net at the same time, you're still teeing up that slap shot. You know, that's, that's just yeah. what the situation well, calls for. So, Instinct. Uh, okay. So Ben, um, what is your worst rule change uh, in the game of hockey? Probably more specifically the national hockey league. Cause that's what everybody watches. I think that's what we're kind of going with here, but besides, you know, I would say the worst rule change ever in hockey would probably be the fact that there's a shootout after the first overtime in international hockey. But um, as far as the NHL is concerned, totally backwards. Uh, I'm not a fan of shootouts. That's not it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm against the trapezoid. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, you know, again, it goes and the goalies are going to hate me, but I just think it's, if you're out of the net, you're fair game. Sorry. That's just the old school mentality in me. And I think it's, you know, we're all used to it now. It's obviously different. We're watching, St. Cloud player, you know, ex college hockey team, and it's not there, but I'm not a fan of it, man. I think, you know, if you come out of the net and you play it, look at, you know, Ron Hextall, guys like that, man, Billy Smith, those guys came out, they were fighting guys. They were, t- I'm not, again, I'm not saying I want to see goalies out there fighting like Vernon and Wad did, although that was entertaining as hell, but I- I've never really been a fan of it. I've never really been a fan of it. And it's simply to protect the goalies and, 
Um, I'd love to see it altered, but it's never going to happen. Yeah, you and I talked Actually, about this. I don't this. mind the trapezoid. I don't mind the trapezoid. And yeah. here's why I say that, Ben. Now, I'm with you halfway and I'm with you half now, way Because, unfortunately, the league has done every uh, everything in their power to make goaltenders untouchable. We yes. just talked about what Sam Hedges is the NCH. Yes. Now, now, and because here, here's what we have to do. It's not just about the trapezoid to me. It's about, you know, you would have to change two rules. And that is if you're going to take away the trapezoid, which to me you should, but if that's the case, then you have to make it so of like, if a goaltender is going to go out to that position, you know, can he get hit? You know, does he have the ability to be played? Can you pin a goaltender against the boards? If he's going to go out there and play the puck, it's the same thing in the NHL. Why is if there's a loose puck, 10 feet in front of the crease, he can go out there and just cover it and get a whistle to me. I don't agree with that either. So there's a lot about the goaltending position that's debatable to me. And the trapezoid to me, it's not to me just about protecting the goaltender. It's it's taking him away to be kind of, not only to be injured, but okay, we don't even want to entertain that, you know, that sort of debatable moment there. So I get that. You know, and, and so to me, it's it's one of those where, okay, like I think, Noah, you were on this conversation too when we were kind of talking about this pre-show last couple of days ago. That is, yeah. you know, if you can do that soft dump in the corner and keep it in that, that area where a goaltender can go, yeah, you can you can have that forecheck. Whereas, you know, Marty, you know, Brodeur, we can talk about how good he was playing the puck behind the net. Essentially, yeah. it was him that the trapezoid it was introduced. Um, if he's back there just to ring the puck around, he was so good playing the puck. Mm-hmm. Insanely good. We we talked about we talked about that pre-show. My my qualifying offer here would be to make the trapezoid wider, so you still mitigate no. some of the some mm-hmm. of those dumpins in the corner, but no. you give goaltenders room to make those plays. Like I said, like it, you had mentioned, I think that it, the the trapezoid in some ways rewards players for making a smart dump and forcing defensemen to go back and make plays, which creates a forecheck. S- smart, precise, because at the end of the day, you can always make a smart dump in there, but let's just say that, you know, the puck ends up just trickling back in the trapezoid. You know, let's just say like you're being rushed and you have to do it a second early. All of a sudden you get a little bit more heat on it than you want. It then goes back yeah, around into a wider but, trapezoid. But, it, but it's a question of time and space. It doesn't matter how long the trapezoid gets there. If you take away the trapezoid, the goaltender has an extra second to realize that he has free reign to go and play that puck versus if he has to wait for the puck to trickle into the trapezoid, he might not play that puck because of the fact that he has to wait until the puck gets there. And by that time, the forward and defenseman might already be there. I'm not saying I love the trapezoid. I'm just saying, is there a way that you can find a happy medium where, where, I I mean, I don't know. It's just, you don't see goaltenders hardly coming out and making plays anymore. But part of me is kind of like, well, yeah, they're they're protected. Yeah, they're protected. What are you going to take more of the ice away by enlarging the trapezoid? That's less ice for players to make plays. What do we all want to see in in hockey? What do we want to see? Offense. Fights. (laughs) Offense. Fights. And the goaltenders are not there to handle the puck. I mean, they're not there. I mean, yeah, Marty Brodeur changed the way the goaltender and the way that teams can play because he had the skill set. He had the ability. But wait, wait, are are you guys trying to say that the trapezoid is created to protect goaltenders? Because it wasn't. No, no. What I'm what I'm trying to say is it was to essentially find the happy medium between a goaltender that may have in the NHL's mind, and mind you, I'm I'm speaking for them, may have revolutionized the goaltending you know position where you know if every goaltender was going to model their game after Marty Brodeur, you're seeing you know almost like a teams that were saying, no, well, I've got a defenseman already back there. So if a team is going to dump the puck and chase it, mind you, Canadians, 
you know, let's, let's talk about this. The European game is not about puck possession. Let's talk about, you know, the Finnish game where they would rather never dump the puck and they would rather carry yeah. it into the offensive zone and never give up the puck. Right. The Canadian mindset is we'll take it if we have to, but if there's, if they're going to stack the goal line, I'll dump and get it. But if Marty Boudreau is going to be back there, skate out and just rim it out, then yeah. where, where's oh. the offense there? So to me, that is the NHL's attempt to finally have, I mean, almost squash, you know, goaltenders come after the league and saying, okay, you can play the puck, but we don't want you to be the force that Marty Berger was because at the end of the day, offense was non-existent there. Yeah. That's my it, opinion. But, but it's not, I think it, you're it, right too, but it's not to protect goaltenders. I just want to clarify that it's, it's to establish That's part of it is yeah, no, no, no. you can't go no, in there. No, it's not. How? Yes, it is. You can't go in there. You can't Maybe. touch them. You can't touch them, but you can go in there. You can go in and lift a goaltender's stick. If he has the puck. Well, agree to disagree. It was it was established to to continue to generate sustained pressure and offensive forechecks. That's what it was designed to do, so that when a, a team dumped the puck in and was changing or changing on the fly, that the puck would still be in the corner and a, a defenseman had to go the extra twenty feet to pick the puck up before he snapped it off. You know, I mean, I, I agree with that, but it's also it's also there, so you can't go in there and you can't hit them in there. Mm-hmm. I guess. And look, it, I sound like I'm all for running goalies. I'm not. But, but there's some that would initiate contact. But you can't yeah. hit. A, can you hit a goalie anywhere? As far as I know, you can't no. hit a goalie. Right, so, I mean, but so but but some goaltenders, what they were doing is they were essentially doing a pick play. Is that they right. were taking the rule and they were saying, okay, I know you can't hit me, so I can. If there was no passing option, so let's just see the puck did trickle in, right? And yeah. the the four checkers they took away the boards on both sides. Well, he just said, well, I'll just pin it against the boards here. Screw it. And then they would draw a call because at that point you go in there, maybe you muscle them down, yeah. and then a goaltender flops, and then all of a sudden you're getting a roughing call, and you're like, what the heck is that? I'm just trying to. Yeah. Take a puck but, away. But, so, when, yeah. but but if you didn't have a trapezoid, wouldn't it be the same thing where if a goaltender goes in the corner, if you if the rule has not changed, which it hasn't yet, where you can't hit a goaltender, the goalie can do the same thing. He could take the puck and pin it up against the wall if he wanted to, and you can't hit him. He Unless could, yeah. Matthew, you could, but if your name is Matthew Kachuk, you don't really care, but that's just me. Yeah, there's no rules. Um, <laughs> so this might come as a shock, but um, I also have a rule that I <laughs> – that I that I feel. Oh wait, wait! The guy who likes more rules. Yeah, you you got one. Okay, let's. What see is it? More rules. Um, I actually don't like the instigator rule. I think that it that it doesn't serve a purpose because now, should the instigator rule go away completely? No, I think there's certain extenses where if you if you come off the bench like a heat seeking missile and sucker punch a guy, well, yeah, that's obviously instigator to a T. But again, if you if you have someone who gets hit from behind and the defenseman comes in from the top of the circle and starts a fight, it's kind of like, well, I mean, you committed the action. So then the response is validated by the action you just committed. So I don't really particularly care for the instigator rule. Um, And the problem with the instigator rule is it leads to stage fights and stage fights lead to the NHL trying to do things about that. Um, The other one that we've, uh, that I've kind of talked about too. um, And I know this isn't like a set rule, but a lot of times, when there's an injury, um, especially in like youth leagues, when there's an injury on a play, no matter what the play was, even if it's a clean hit, um, a lot of times there's an automatic penalty or sometimes even an automatic ejection if there's an injury there. Um, I think it should be like how the NHL reviews majors now where it's a case-by-case basis a little bit where it's, um, you know, you could hit a guy clean and he hits his head on the ice. It's like, well, you didn't really have anything to do with well, the NHL is doing yeah. that, Noah. So a big change this year is now they can review majors. And so, right. and the one thing that's different is they can actually take down a major. You don't but, have to, but they have to it. call a penalty on the play. And my yes. point is, my point is if you hit a guy at open ice and the, and if it looks bad, but the hit was actually clean, you're still calling a penalty for something that. 
but they can go back and review it. That's the sure. thing. Yeah. Is yeah. If, if, so that was a change that they didn't have before this year was they can go back and look. Now, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've seen yet where a penalty was taken off the board completely, but I have seen what would look to be a major on the ice. I think it actually happened in the wild a couple of weeks ago because you where it was reduced to a two. Cause you can't, you can't, no, you can no. Once you call a penalty on the play and review that penalty, there has to be a call on, on the play. You cannot, Correct. you cannot not okay, call. So you can't penalty. take it away completely. You can't, you but, can't. You, but and and more but, times than not, they're given those fives, right? Look, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you guys, I'll tell you guys this. I'm not going to say who the coach was, but in Omaha about halfway through, we were told that they were giving out fives like Halloween candy. Like everything's a five now. Everything is a five. If it's questionable, if it's questionable, and like we're talking about with these reviews, more times than not, it's a five. So it never used it, to be that way. So our, our, it, our show would be a five minute major because we're definitely questionable. Let's, let's and, and Ben, here, oh, here's very. a good follow up. Here's a good follow up question to that. Is that the league trying to set a precedence where, you know, it's more of a, I guess, a message sent to the players where if it's even borderline that they're going to call it, is that somewhat. their way to control some things? I, I would yeah. think it is. Yeah, I agree with that, Nick. Yeah, I do. I think it's somewhat part of it. Sure. I can't remember. I can't remember because I was staring at a battery for the better part of yesterday. But um, <laughs> but uh, buy um, interstate batteries. <laughs> but yeah. our uh, no free ads, Ben. Uh, but we um uh, on Friday night at the end of the game uh, when Seamus Donahue got hit, did they call that as a they didn't call they called it as a major. They but they, there was no call at all. Wasn't it just a two? I thought or, wasn't it wasn't it a major? But they left no. Him in the it was box? a five. No, it was a five. Okay. There was a five. There was a couple of hits that Donahue took call, that they what, didn't call. What did they call initially? It was a two initially, right? Yeah, it, was a, it was a board, it was a wasn't it? Two. It was a two initially. It was right. a board. Yeah. I mean, as a coach, you're you're holding your breath. I mean, look again. I don't want to sound like I want guy go see guys get hurt. I don't. But no. Some of these things drive me nuts. And calling games as long as I have, there's a lot of times I'll look at whoever I'm with, no matter what the sport, me like. I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like the Hentges goal. Sorry to bring it up again. I don't get it. It makes no sense. The guy did every single thing among the guidelines that have been said by the officials, said by leagues, said by coaches. I don't get it. So, so so to transition into our final quick topic here, before we wrap up the show, Ben, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, What is the worst rule in football? Ooh. That's Ooh, I got one. But right. I'll let Ben take this one first. Well, Nick, if you got one while, he, while he's thinking, I mean, what do you got? Yeah, go ahead. Can man. I swear on this one? Sure. Okay. What the f- is a catch? Honestly. Seriously. I can't wait to go and edit that one out. Thanks for a making my son leave. Football move. Yeah, seriously, that's what that, that's what it is. Yeah. Like it's there's so much gray area there. I mean, there it is. really depends on the official that's there. Um, and and honestly, like I think it was Pittsburgh, was it a year or two ago where he where Pittsburgh could have won the game, but he caught it and then he yes. used the ground and it he came off the it. ground. End, Jesse James, that's who it was. Yeah, and yep. so it's like you know. The, it's almost it's it's almost to the point where they're overdoing the you know overdoing it they're overthinking a little bit and now every little minor game what's a what's a football move I mean does that mean tucking right. it away does that mean you have to take a couple of steps so to me that to me is the worst rule in football not that it's a like I not that the rule itself in like as a whole is bad but the the wording and the way it's it's being 
I guess, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the way that it's being, um, uh, being used, I guess, I guess is the word I'm trying to go with it. It's just, to me, you're, you're trying to take too much away from what a catch is. I mean, I just, I don't know, because it's just too much. It's just too much. You need, you need to refine it more, you know, just to, just to get it more. I don't know. It's just too vague to me. I don't know, that's just me. I mean, I, it's not really a, I guess it's, it's a rule, but I mean, I think, and I've said this for the last two, three years doing games, whatever the sport it is, I think review is ruining sports in a lot of ways. Um, I think it too is. much is reviewed. I think the reviews are too long. I know last year in college football, they, they put a guideline out that the review should be the replay official from the time he gets it. And the replay communicator talks to the referee. They're supposed to have it a judgment in two minutes. And if you don't, then the call stands on the field. I did a dozen football games this past season. And I don't remember many that were less than two minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I know I'm throwing a big blanket on it, but that stuff to me, and I know we want to get calls right. And again, I, I, probably sound like I just want to see guys go out and play rugby every day. That's not the case, but I think that it's, it kills momentum. I know you have to adapt to it as a coach, as a player, whatever the sport is, but I think there's too much of it. It just, it needs to be redefined what we're reviewing, how we're reviewing it and for how long it can be reviewed. Nick, before I let you talk, I, I I I I would like to have my time to actually mention my rule here. This um, is but, our time, but, but this is our, yeah. Okay. Okay. Say. Okay. Herb Brooks. Okay. No, that was actually Mr. Hand to Jeff Spicoli and fast times at Ridgemont. I, um, all right, Nick, go ahead. What do you got? Uh, to build off Ben's, I will admit I was on the train when review first started in the NHLs, you know, with, a, with, uh, with goal reviews and things. And I was all about like, you know, the analyst was trying to get call rights. I was on that train, yep. but again, with the NFL, especially, and now with the NHL, especially with the offside stuff, and I, I hope that they change the offsides rule with the, where the skate doesn't have to touch it. Yeah. Kind of, you know, kind of squashes that a bit yep. um, that, you know, is it really the review itself or is it the fact that, you know, us as broadcasters are almost killing it, you know, for ourselves, you know, I, I want to get calls, right. I think Ben's right. And I, I'm giving a self hate here, but at the end of it, you know, just like, just like in baseball, you know, that they want to have, you know, almost like a, a, a laser guided strike zone. And I, and I think as humans, we're, we're taking the human element out yes. of sports. You know, and, and that's really what it comes down yep. to. And granted, controversy is good for sports sometimes. You know, it's good that we come up on Monday morning football and go, what that, you know, that was, you know, past interference. You know, what was that push off? And I remember, you know, back in, in May and June, it's, you know, when nothing, when sports was happening, we were begging to have a, to have a debate and going, man, where was us, you know, Joel Pavelski and him going down? Why can't we debate a power, you know, a five-minute major versus that? We were begging begging for sports controversy and, mm-hmm. and not having to talk about the pandemic for so long. So yeah. I don't know. I just, you know, I, I I'm with you, Ben, on that. It just, the, the reviews have gotten so specific that not the, it's almost like reviewing every single freaking play anymore. So let yeah. the boys play, right? Let, and, let, let people yeah. play. Can, can, yeah. can I qualify that and say, I don't mind reviews in some senses, but I think that especially for the national hockey league coaches shouldn't be able to challenge for those reviews. I think that the reviews should, should have to should come, or shouldn't shouldn't should have to should have to come mm. through through the officiating crew because <laughs> because the only reason mm. I the only reason I, I say that and I know there's some Jordan, instances John Tortorella wants a word <laughs> but but the Henry Winkler is, but the thing is is though you know with four officials on the ice it's and I, and one and one on the press box that's what I'm yeah. saying so the league can still review that I'm saying 
if four officials and the and the official that is the off-ice official and anybody in the war room doesn't feel like that play warrants a review, does it really need to be challenged? Case in point, if you are a team who gets scored on and is down now four to one, you challenge for goaltender interference, not because it was goaltender interference, but because of the fact that you just want to burn that time out and change momentum. Now, I know the league has implemented things in place as far as creating penalties or things for certain reviews if they're wrong. But I guess part of me is just like, you want to keep the human element in the game. Well, back in the 70s and 80s, what the ref had called, or even in the mid 2000s, what the what the officials had it. called and then reviewed, even it. if they had to review it, that was it. That was the yeah. bottom line. You went with it, the end. You know. So now, now to to burn so to burn you Noah, um, <laughs> <laughs> a little a little bit. So my now my grandfather was an attorney, right? So you know and he he would tell this point is that the least reliable source of evidence is the human eye and the, and the human mind. So, so what, what I mean by that is you really want five officials to only have the ability to look at it. Let's just say the replay up review was just getting a text and he's, he's got down his phone and he missed it. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that the linesman, they were trying to look through defensemen, the referees are in the right spot, but they couldn't see something. So yeah. I don't know if I like the referees in itself as having their only mm-hmm. control there, but back to what the NHL was trying to do with some of those challenges and, you know, having a penalty taken, if you challenge the wrong call, I do think, you know, there's a balance there, but I, I think that coach should have the ability to challenge it. Um, you know, can, when it's deemed necessary, can, but cause I think I can't remember a couple years ago. When, can you challenge in the NCHC? No, no, you can, right. Yeah, you you can, can challenge it, right. Can't, yeah. Yeah. You can challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. I, I, I'm with Nick. I think they should have that ability to do that one time. One time a game, I think they should have that ability. If we're if we have the system that we have, then I think that a coach should be able to stand up for his team or her team, whatever the case is, and be able to do that. And then should it be like football? Should it be last, like what, should it be like football, Ben? The last the last two minutes of the game, like or last I, I five minutes, should. I, where it's reviewable. That part for I do sure. like. Yeah, that part I do like, where everything's it's it's initiated from up top. Like I, I'll and throw I, this at you guys. So two years ago, this, well, it started two years ago in February when I was doing that league, the Alliance of American football, when I was doing those games on Sunday, I think, and and I think before I even say this, part of the reason why the NFL doesn't do it is because of something Nick mentioned earlier, and that's controversy. Now in that league, they had a, they had a person that was a, they were called a sky judge and they could jump in when they felt yep. the official was not making and that's the right what I'm call. saying. And that's what I'm saying. That I think, but, but that takes away to me again, that takes away from, especially in the NFL and college football, that takes away from the controversy that takes away. Look, it's becoming more and more legal in more States. It affects the gambling, but more mm-hmm. so it gets the call right in the experience I saw used which was probably a handful of times in the eight games that the league lasted or the eight weeks. Um, it probably worked. I saw it. I'd say a handful of times where they jumped in their microphone. You can hear them. They give a clear explanation of what they're looking at. There's no guessing. There's no gray area. We hear that term all the time. I think that more leagues need to do that. Yeah. My, my rule wasn't even a rule. It's just kind of a, I don't know how you would change this, but it always bugs me because I think it's kind of silly when, you know, you're, you're third and one 
and you, you know, the referee spots the ball after the play and they bring the chains out and the yeah. chain shows that it's off by like half an inch. It's like, dude, he has the pretty much has the first down. It's it's like a blade of grass. That is the difference. I know there's yeah. no way to the change note card, that. the note card in the football, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm Wait, just isn't the line that the, um, the lines the end all be all right on the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, here's what I would say. Here's what the NHL showed you. One challenge a game, but like football, if you if you win the challenge, you get it back. If you lose it, that's it. Just like yeah. your timeout. That's well, what I think the NHL half. should do. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. That's anyway, cool. what that was supposed to transition to, I didn't expect it would take half a day, um, was that I just wanted to get your guys' Super Bowl predictions as to what the score is going to be. So, uh, Nick, uh, I guess let's start with you. Who wins the, foot, who wins the football game and uh, um, what's the score? So we have a passing the torch in this football game, right? Ben, we've got the goat and Tom Brady. We have arguably what I think many people in the football world will be his successor as far as, you know, a successful quarterback in, in Patrick Mahomes. Um, to me, Tom Brady gets a seventh because I like the secondary in Tampa. I also think that Leonard Fournette in the running game has been improving steadily over the second half of the season. I like Edwards or Laird. With Kansas City as far as their uh, – but I do like the Tampa Bay secondary. They've gotten much better in stopping the run. I think that the Tampa Bay secondary might give some looks that Kansas City might not know, but the speed of the wide receivers, there's just so much intrigue to this, to this football game. To me, Tampa Bay wins this one. It's going to be a lower-scoring game because everybody's going to be trying to take away the passing game. I'm going with a 21-17 win for Tom Brady at home to win the Super Bowl in their home field. Ben? Well, based on that, I'm not taking the over. <laughs> um, I'm, not I think, the, I'm not setting the lines, Ben, so you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say 35-27, Kansas City. All right. Nice. Odd score, but I think there's going to be a lot of points. Uh, I do think Tampa's got more weapons than, than people give them credit for. And to me, they got the ultimate weapon in, in Tom Brady. And um, I just think Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, I mean, pick your poison. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to, one's going to be single covered all day. So uh, that's the way I'm leaning. Nick, before you text me and tell me we have to wrap up the show, I'm already on it here. 28-24 uh, uh, Tampa Bay is my pick on this one. I think it's going to be a close scoring, medium scoring game, the quintessential football game, if you will. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any denying Tom Brady. I, that's just my personal and professional opinion, if you will. Um, guys, do we have anything else to add uh, for the show? I know we have a big anniversary coming up next week that we're going to be excited to dive into in next week's show, but do we have anything that we missed or need to uh, get to before we bid the fans adieu here? Uh, how about uh, who we might be having on next week? Yeah, oh, there you go. Yeah, um, well, I was going to mention that in the intro, which, uh, funny enough for our fans, if they were ever curious how the show is recorded, we record this before the intro. But I do, am glad you mentioned that here. Um, we are um, tentatively, anyway, having um, somebody, uh, Ben, I think you might know him. You maybe <laughs> met him once or twice. I don't know. Um, anyway, some guy, Dave, somebody, Dave Starman or something like that. I don't not, know. The old Starman is going to come on with us this week. And, uh, you know, I just called his agent. You guys watched it all on this thing before we got online and, you know, it patched me through and we got him. Now we got Dave's going to come on and uh, we're going to talk some puck and talk college puck, certainly. And, you know, talk about the tournament and those things and get his thoughts. So that'll be fun to, you know, be back with him. I haven't been back. I haven't been with him since uh, mid-December in Omaha. So uh, it'll be good to see him. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. He'll, he'll have to fly in his private helicopter, right. You know, he doesn't have one of those. Don't visit. believe everything on his Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if I'm not mistaken, the women's team, I believe is off this week. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. I think the women's team is off. I could be totally wrong. Doesn't it show how organized we are on this show? The men's team does have Miami next week, though. So um, we will have, obviously, the recaps, the previews, everything coming for you, as well as Tuesday, we do have Yami Kranela and Vieti Mietnan joining us for the Healthy Scratch interview segment, our Flying Fins, and that will do it for episode number 48 of the Huskies Warming House podcast. <laughs>